Welcome to You and Your Money. I'm your host, Michael Porter. And tonight is all about estate planning. We are joined by Brian Hirsch, who's with us in the Zoom room this evening. And in studio, we have Harry Joffe, the head of legal services at Discovery Life, and Gordon Stewart, the managing director at Acura. Welcome, gentlemen. Good to see you in person. Yes. Michael, um, it's good. fantastic. It's, yeah. I've been watching you guys do the show via Zoom from Mauritius, so it's excellent to be back in the studio again. Good, good to have you with us. Yeah. And I think good you, Gordon. Harry, <laughs> Brian, you can't see it in studio, but Harry has um, made a statement with some uh, football shirts. Liverpool having won 5-0 against Manchester United. Did I it right, Michael? Right? Yes, I, I got it right. right. <laughs> <laughs> Brian, so I'm sorry you couldn't, you couldn't squash this one, but um, you know, we just have to go run with it. So Harry, thank you for, for joining us as well. Brian, I think maybe if we can just turn to you to open up for um, a bit of context this evening. Yeah, back in the Zoom room, it's quite a strange feeling. And, you know, Harry never uh, never loses an opportunity to, to sort of come on and, and <laughs> tell us about um, the team he supports. But um, coming back to estate planning, one can never underestimate the importance of estate planning. And therefore, I deal with this topic on a regular basis. During the last 20 months, I've unfortunately had to deal with many deaths. I mean, horrified that capable businessmen have left families in dire straits because of lack of estate planning. What is even more upsetting is that spouses did not sit down and discuss what would happen in the event of premature death of the breadwinner of the family. And this has left them really feeling very uncomfortable and very, you know, at a time when one is grieving, one is also feeling guilt. And when I say guilt, why? Because so often, when you're thinking, when you're in the grieving pr uh, process, you're actually thinking of money, and it's very difficult. So I've always said it's important that spouses sit down and talk to each other and understand. But good to have Harry with us and uh, and Gordon, um, um, managing director of Acura. Great, thanks so much, Brian. And we have quite a lot of emails that, to your point of the the discomfort that people feel and the lack of communication around. Um, these things because it is a difficult discussion to have but it can leave people quite firmly in the dark if um, a, someone does pass away from the relationship. So Harry I think we'll start with you a question from John who says I'd like to draw your attention to serious unethical behavior by executives controlling the assets of minors who are delayed beneficiaries until reaching an age set by the benefactor. This happened to both my children who received a, a delayed legacy from their maternal grandfather. The old man had his will drawn up by one of the biggest asset management companies in South Africa using their standard format. And he also appointed this company to manage his assets to the best advantage of the beneficiaries until they turned 25. He passed away in 1999. My son received the money in 2008 and it had only grown in nine years to 32,000 Rand. My daughter received her money three years later and the value was 42,000 Rand. This is 12 years after the money was left to them. What action can I take against this company for performing, performing so poorly? Yeah, I mean, Michael, this is a very difficult question to answer because, you know, we don't know the context. Mm. In other words, how much money did we start? Yes. But really important, what was in the will? You know, I've seen a lot of wills which are very conservatively drafted and they tell the, the managing agent, you know, this money must be looked after and only invested conservatively for the good of the children. So, I mean, that could very well have been the clause in the will. And, you know, it's also when you're dealing with young kids, which these were, you know, all managing agents are going to be very nervous to lose the money because then of course they'll be sued. Yes. So they're going to automatically be conservative. You know, we had an interesting case recently where one of our brokers wanted to invest the kids' money in a structured, uh, ultra-aggressive endowment policy. And the trust company said, no, we're not prepared to go at risk for that. And you can understand that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I'm not trying to uh, support the trust company against one of our viewers. I'm not, I wouldn't do that. But it's just important to be aware of the context. And mm -hmm. it's not necessarily mm -hmm. that they were over-conservative or they were wrong. 
Because next thing they go into the market, remember 2008, of course, is financial crisis, yes. and they could have lost money there if they were too exposed to the market. Absolutely. So always bear that in mind. If the viewer wants to go after the trust company, you know, a couple of options. Number one, they can go to the internal ombud, because all these trust companies have got internal ombuds. Lodge a complaint there. If they don't get any joy, they can probably go to the phase ombud, because we're talking about an investment product, mm -hmm. so I'm pretty sure it would fall under phase, and they can try their luck there. But I must warn the viewer, it's not going to be an easy one to win. Okay. You know, if I was a judge, I would say that, that the, yes. the kids are young, you don't want to lose money for the kids, you can understand a bit of conservatism, the one matured just after the financial crisis, so, you know, we're looking at quite a mm. lot of very complex factors, almost yeah. a perfect storm for the poor trust company. And I suppose, as you say, if you don't know the facts, it's very difficult to, to pass a legitimate comment around it, and yeah. you might just be upset about the fact that it's not millions of rands that you would hope it would be. Correct. Um, so you must have your facts. You don't want to rush to pass judgment prematurely yeah. when you don't know the full context. Absolutely. Gordon, I've got a question to you, which comes from Elliot in Kimberley, yep. and he says, I am married out of community of property without accrual. While talking to my wife about growing up a will, we decided that we should buy a flat in Bloemfontein for ourselves. We would contribute 50% each towards the apartment, and I suggested that my part would also form part of what I will leave her when I'm gone. First of all, is this wise for both of us to be listed on the title deed, or should I treat it as a gift? And what are the tax implications? Okay, so I think first and foremost, because they married ANC excluding accrual, it means that their estates are completely separate, and they don't automatically have the right to share in the assets of the other person. Right. Uh, with regards to, it sounds like both of them want to contribute 50%, even though the property is only going to be registered in one person's name. So then technically speaking, we've got a donation, but that's not an issue because there's no donations tax between spouses, just like there is no estate duty tax and there is no deemed capital gains tax. So I think to answer the question, there's no issues from a taxation perspective if they register the property in one name. Okay. If I was in his shoes, um, and I was contributing 50%, I would probably register half the property in my name, and assuming that I'm still happily married at the time that I'm passed away, then I make my surviving spouse the heir to that 50%. Again, there would be no estate duty tax, no deemed capital gains tax, and in addition, no transfer duties. Okay. I mean, Mark, I was gonna ask, I mean, why would the, the spouse accept that? If she's putting in half the money for the property, and she's not on the title deed, what's in that for her? Yeah. Yes, absolutely. And it does make sense if you've got two, two halves of a relationship, generally it's going to go to the other one. The will will d define that it'll go to the other one. So yeah. either way, they're going to end up with the whole That's process. exactly it. I think, you know, always been doing this for so long now, before you jump into a hole, work out how you're going to climb out of it. Yeah. And, um, you know, you can be very happily married right now, but that might not be the case in 10 or 15 years time. So to avoid any issues, I'd probably register it in both their names. Okay. What's great. the famous saying? Good fences make good neighbors. So Absolutely. yeah, yeah, definitely. just get things structured up front. Super. Thanks, Jen. So Brian, let's come to you for a question now. This one comes from Debbie in Sydney, Australia. She says, my late father left a trust for my mother in SA. The funds are now depleted and we'd like to wind up the trust. Even though there are no funds, we've been getting accounts from the auditors for drawing up nil returns and, we've and we have funded it. We now want to close it and they want further fees. Why should we have to fund fees for work to be done for the trust? Yeah, well, that's a difficult one. For the, because very simply, for the trust to be re-registered, the master of the high court requires firstly the following documentation. Confirmation letter signed by each beneficiary that they received their benefits. Statement chain, nil balance or confirmation letter from the bank confirming that the bank account has been closed. They need the trustee and then they need the original letters of authority. But it sounds absolutely ludicrous because if there are no funds in the, in, in the trust, why should 
people outside of the trust for beneficiaries who receive benefits now have to pay fees. Gordon, can't you just leave it and, and do nothing? No, Brian, unfortunately you can't. I mean, we all know the complications that you have to go through to establish the trust. So therefore, when it's time to wind the trust up, you have to go through the complete opposite. And those are the requirements that the master is going to look for in order for them to take the trust off their books. I am a little bit surprised, though, that the trustees did not retain sufficient funds yeah. in order to cover those final expenses and then make a final distribution of any funds that were left over. Is there a bit of confusion sometimes when it comes to trusts because trusts are set yeah. up by one generation potentially and then the next generation or further down mm. is dealing with the, the, the result of it um, and aren't aware of these other expenses? I mean, Michael, we have a lot of interesting cases now where we've got trusts that are being wound up and the trustees forget that there's actually a life insurance policy still sitting in the trust. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, when there's a payout, there's no one to pay out because there's no one who owns yeah. okay. and we sit in a legal black hole. And then you've got to tell the ex-trustees, because they're no longer trustees, of course, they're now what we call functus officia, they've done their job. Right. They've actually got to go back to the master, re-register that same trust, okay. so we can pay the policy out to them. So I think, Brian, a very important lesson, you know, if you're winding up a trust, please check there's no funny assets sitting in that trust that you didn't know about, mm -hmm. particularly life insurance policies. Yeah, and I mean, typically, uh, you know, Harry, that life insurance policy should have been reflected on the financial statements. Exactly. Um, so I think that's pre pretty poor work on the part of the trustees. Okay. I think there's no cash value and there's no, you know, it's only a pure yeah, law policy, yeah. they sometimes forget about yeah. it. Yeah, right. Okay, let's go on to the next email which comes from Jonathan in Durban. I'm going to send this one your way, Gordon. Okay. Um, he says, my wife died some years ago and prior to her death she drew up a will leaving assets to her brother rather than her daughter. I've contested the will as I believe that she was of unsound mind and I have doctor's letters confirming this. In the will, she makes claims that I owed her a lot of money and that I must pay the bond off on the house. The attorneys have come back and made an offer that I, if I do not contest the will, they'll abandon the claim against me for the amounts that she claimed that I owed. If I agree the will was valid, can I contest the claim for the money owed as I feel she was, uh, it was a total fabrication? My daughter will inherit and I will defend an action suing me for the amounts she claimed that I owed. It's quite a complicated one. Wow. <laughs> this is a book, Mark. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I wish I'd had a pen and paper so I can write <laughs> or it or down. Or points there. Yeah. Netflix movie. <laughs> and um, I hope I remember everything. I think first and foremost, I've got to say, you know, geez, I'm sorry that Jonathan is going through all of this. Mm. Uh, but what it does do is it just re-emphasizes the complications that can be experienced in winding up a deceased estate. I think the factors that I would take into consideration based on what you've just said to me now is one, the nature of their marital contract to determine as to whether either of the spouses had a claim against the other person's assets. Uh, I would have to look to see the age of the daughter to determine whether there is a claim for maintenance, um, whether the wife was sufficiently or had the, you know, the mental capacity to be able to, to draft a last will and testament. Um, and then I'm curious to see how, if the will states that Jonathan does owe money, how the executor has the ability to <laughs> write off that debt. Mm. So, Unfortunately, I'm sorry that I, I don't think I can answer the question in the short period of yeah, time that yeah. we have because it is so technical. Absolutely. And Mark, if I can just jump in there. to add in a couple of, I mean, just to add on to what Gordon said, you know, South Africans, they watch too much uh, TV and everyone on TV rushes to go to court. <laughs> the world's invalid, uh, mom was doddering, she didn't know what she was doing. Mm. Our courts are very, very conservative mm. in that factor. They're not going to overturn a will lightly. You really have to show real proof. You know, mom didn't have a clue what was going on. Right. It even goes so far, if mom was a little bit uh, doddering, a little bit senile, 
But when she did the will, she knew what was going on. She was compass mentis. The, the courts will uphold the will. Because mm. you just have to be compass and lucid at that moment yeah. when you're doing the will. That's number one. And number two, you know, again, really interesting what we call a no contest clause. You know, in America, it's gone through the courts there. Is it even valid? Can you say to an heir, if you don't contest the will, we won't come after you? Yeah. You know, that's a very darcy constitutionally because you're giving up your right to, to go to court, which Absolute. is a fundamental mm. right. Yeah. So that's, that case, I tell you, you know, as a case study, we could Absolute. carry on for a whole yeah, show. That would be a great series in itself. That would be a great exam and, question. And guys, yeah. if I can come in here also, I mean, the fact that the wife said that the husband owed money, surely there would have to be proof because the husband claiming that he didn't, doesn't owe money yeah. and the wife now passed on said, you know, the money owed to me. But surely the executors or would have to actually be able to satisfy themselves that the wife's claim that money was owed to her is yeah. actually owed. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And also, if the will is saying that he owes her money, how is that linked to the settlement of the bond? Yes, absolutely. Um, yeah. I mean, exactly. Totally yeah. unrelated Again, some, some context required. You'd need, I mean, you'd need I'd love that. to see this will, Michael. If absolutely. we could get a copy of that will, yeah. keep me and Gordon going for weeks. <laughs> Maybe we can get that after the break, so we'll see if we can have the second part of the series. <laughs> uh, but we are going to take a quick commercial break. If you'd like to get in touch, please do call our number, 11 Eight, or you can still email your questions to brian at bdtv.co.za or brianh at bhca.co.za. See you in just a moment.